You're listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hello, this is Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. 2020 has clearly been a year of unrivaled occurrences. And oh, by the way, they proceed. It's also been a year of unquestioned endurance. From a pandemic to the shortest cyclical bear market in history to a 50% rally in stocks to a two-month recession to civil unrest into a late decided presidential election, the fortitude of the U.S. stock market, let alone the American people, cannot be questioned in our view. As such, why should anybody be surprised given that it is the year 2020, that it took multiple days to decide the victor in the presidential election. Now that we know that it is President-elect Joe Biden, we were excessively lucky to host and moderate BMO Capital Markets conference call featuring Deputy Chief Economist Michael Gregory and Head of Strategy with respect to fixed income commodities and currencies Margaret Karens, on a day that the Pfizer news came out, the markets were rocking, we had a decision on the election, this was a monumental day with respect to investments. Here are all of our comments with respect to the conference call, and we'll wrap it up just after that. Well, in addition to uh, President-elect Biden that you mentioned, uh, the uh, the Senate and House races are, are uh, and some key ones there are, are still continuing. But according to the Wall Street Journal and Associated Press, it's sort of 48-48 in terms of the Senate count, but with uh, two Republican candidates leading in their respective uh, races. So, uh, presuming uh, they they end up uh, getting those, uh, you're looking at a 48 to 50. Uh, 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 Democrat versus a Republican split. And the key thing here is that in Georgia, both uh, the special and uh, regular Senate races are going to be heading to a runoff on January 5th. So we're not quite sure yet exactly uh, uh, with respect to the balance of power in the Senate, which is critically important for assessing uh, uh, the economic and policy implications of a Biden presidency, at least in the very near term. Uh, that said, uh, of those two races in Georgia, we know uh, that the Republican had a slight lead in one, and uh, and in the other, the Republicans actually split the vote. So it's it's looking pretty uh, uh, low odds, at least at this stage, one would think, of uh, the Democrats uh, winning both seats uh, and therefore getting a, 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 a 50-50 split in the Senate, which would then give the uh, deciding vote to uh, President-elect Harris. So, uh, you know, and, and in the Senate, of course, uh, sorry, in the House, uh, it, it does look like that the uh, uh, the, the Democrats will hold on to their majority, albeit with a, with a slimmer margin uh, to the tune of about, they lost about five seats, it looks like, on balance to the Republicans. So basically we got a new president and I guess a, an old Congress in terms of at least the, the, the political party makeup. So we can think a little bit more seriously now about the policy and economic implications. Obviously the most important thing here is what kind of a fiscal stimulus package we do get in the near term, uh, if not in the lame duck session early in the new Congress. Uh, is interesting on Wednesday, uh, uh, newly re-elected uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, McConnell said that a passing a fiscal stimulus package was the first order of business. But after Friday's uh, employment report, he did say that uh, he would sort of favor something uh, again on the uh, smaller size. Of course, the uh, Democrat before we went uh, uh, to break bef- uh, before the election, the Democrats were still touting their package of 2.2 trillion. 
the, the last we had in terms of uh, McConnell favoring something was that $500 billion package uh, that the GOP uh, was pushing in the Senate. So it does seem that there's a pretty far gulf there between the two. Uh, I, we do think our working assumption is we're going to get a package that's running a little bit closer to, to a trillion, uh, up to a trillion, uh, for the simple reason when we're now with a second wave of uh, COVID-19 unfolding before our eyes, uh, that, that will present a sufficient headwind uh, for, uh, uh, for the economy. We do think that uh, uh, Congress will, will step up. I mean, there are three major elements of a, of a uh, package we're, uh, we, we expect to be uh, in there. Firstly, the pandemic unemployment assistance and the pandemic emergency unemployment compensation programs expire at the end of this month, uh, sorry, the end of December, sorry. Uh, and there are still, according to the latest figures, more than 13 million Americans still on that program. Sorry, those programs. And... Uh, uh, and uh, they, you know, they'll lose their benefits if, if uh, they, uh, uh, those don't get extended. The other aspect, of course, is the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, it, it's, it's already closed. Uh, we expect that it's going to be reopened with a little additional funding to help many small and medium-sized businesses get over this second or at least uh, withstand this second wave. Uh, although we do think there'll be a little bit more stringency involved in, in, in that sort of PPP uh, second version of it for the simple reason of all the reports of, of some fraudulent activity going on in, in select quarters. And then finally, with, with state and local governments now in battle yet again, uh, against uh, COVID-19, uh, extra funding uh, for those jurisdictions. So again, roughly pushing uh, upwards to about a trillion dollars. In terms of other policies we might expect with a split Congress and a, a Biden uh, presidency, uh, obviously a, a lot of major things aren't going to get passed. The, the notion of big spending and, and tax hikes uh, have been quashed for now. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, the administration may have to uh, uh, rely on executive action to get a few things done uh, on its agenda. Uh, and, and, uh, and in fact, uh, the uh, uh, representatives of the Biden team have indicated, in fact, that's, that that's their game plan, including uh, uh, pushing up, uh, getting America back on the Paris Treaty on Climate Change, which, by the way, America officially exited on on Wednesday uh, after uh, the delay of indicating they wanted to uh, to leave, uh, and also, uh, for example, uh, um, you know, changing regulations on the U.S. leaving the World Health Organization, and also on the uh, restrictions on Dreamers, and uh, and of course on you know rolling. Back where where they can various environment, environmental and regulatory pol, uh, policies that, uh, uh, that that fits within their uh, agenda. We don't think there'll be enough there uh, to really either dent. Uh, our economic projection much or rather bolster it at, at the same time and we still are holding to our view for about four percent average growth for next year following a three and a half percent average decline uh, for this year for those of you that look at things on a, on a fourth over fourth basis uh, th that is uh, 3.4 percent growth for next year after a two and a half percent decline for next year now if we end up with a fiscal package that is pretty skinny on, uh, uh, say, well under that 500, uh, 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 well under the, sort of that 1 trillion mark, uh, you know, push closer to that 500 billion uh, or less. 
uh, that would obviously be a, a near-term hit to growth. Uh, something bigger than than sort of the close to one trillion we're kind of expecting would would be a positive. And of course, it, it's not only the the prospects for a fiscal package either in the lame duck session or early in the new Congress that's going to matter how things unfold. It will also be the uh, unfolding. Uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. We saw on Friday that new infections, the seven-day average, uh, uh, topped 97,000, uh, will likely top uh, 100,000 when uh, the figures for the weekend are finally uh, 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 all added up. Uh, uh, now, the good news from that perspective is, and we saw that with uh, uh, Pfizer's announcement this morning, that the sort of the three criteria to really put this thing behind us in a material way, as far as the economy is concerned, an effective, safe, and widely available vaccine. It seems like we're making a little more headway uh, on, on that first tranche, that, that, that effective vaccine with, with Pfizer's uh, notification that it looks like it's about 90% effective. Great news, obviously, it's caused the stock market to rally this morning. That said, we're still, you know, some ways away between the, you know, the safety it has been proven as well as it becoming widely available. So we still do have a sort of an autumn and winter season that is looking uh, a little bit bleak. And therefore, you know, we, we are expecting that uh, we will get, that's the reason why we will get that uh, fiscal stimulus package uh, in the next few months. Finally, just for some quick implications here. Oh, b- by the way, I, I just an, another uh, avenue I think that may help the economy a bit here. Uh, in, in a new administration, we're likely to get a new Treasury Secretary uh, and, and a potential for uh, uh, less stringent rules being uh, applied to the Fed's various lending facilities. Uh, of course, as everyone knows, the Treasury has provided capital. Uh, for for those uh, lending programs and uh, and and the and so the, the stringency of those lending programs over borrowers and lenders has been one of the reasons why some have argued why they have not been uh, a stronger take up and of course uh, we didn't see much from the Fed last week not surprisingly given we're in the middle of a pretty contentious election but the, the talk of a extending term of uh, their uh, asset purchases. Uh, continues to be a uh, you know very much on the table and likely to provide uh, some support going uh, forward if they do go down that path and I'm sure Mark will have some more comments on that in a second. Finally, with respect to Canada, uh, obviously uh, um, you know uh, prospects for continued U.S. growth is the number one uh, benefit here of of a uh, for Canada and uh, and of course we're going to have a potentially less rancorous sort of trade environment at least within North America, which also you know is Definitely a slight positive, but you know the, uh, the over the weekend officials from the, the Biden team didn't reindicate that they plan on uh, pulling the permission of uh, uh, Keystone XL, which uh, pipeline, which of course is uh, doesn't bode well for for Canada's energy sector, and uh, and another I think factor too, which is you know the other implication is that with. Uh, it being unlikely uh, uh, that uh, the, uh, a Biden administration will be able to pass a meaningfully higher uh, corporate taxes, uh, at least over the next two years, uh, that does uh, limit the scope for Ottawa uh, to uh, move or maneuver on that front as well uh, from a relative perspective. Okay, I'll leave things uh, at this point for now, and I'll turn things over to my colleague, uh, Margaret Cairns. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everyone, for calling in today. We really appreciate it. I know the market, uh, with the volatility and everything going on, it's uh, it's difficult to to dial in. Uh, you know, first of all, the way that we're looking at the market, you know, the world does remain in the grips of this global pandemic. 
with the rising case counts, as Michael mentioned, and the additional lockdowns. But over the past week, we have made substantial progress on several hurdles. And of course, the hurdles are the U.S. elections, the pandemic case, the stimulus, vaccine progress, and the fundamentals of the economy. So three things basically happened since our call last week. You know, first, of course, the election has been called in favor of Biden over the weekend. While President Trump is challenging the results and not expected to concede the election anytime soon, uh, that was kind of expected by the market, and the market's looking past it. Also, uh, a divided Congress is sort of being priced like a Goldilocks situation in, in Washington, uh, so that's good for the market. Second, of course, the big news was Pfizer's announcement on the vaccine front with the preliminary results showing its vaccine prevented more than 90% of the COVID infections, which moves us closer to clearing the next hurdle. Uh, the main market uh, implication with regard to the vaccines, like Michael mentioned, uh, you know, is it effective? Is it safe? Is it widely available? And this is, we're passing apparently the effective uh, hurdle, which is, which is a big deal. Um, so that moves us much closer to moving on to the safety production and distribution and public trust uh, hurdles. Third, Friday's employment report was stronger than expected. We had private payroll gains of you know, 906,000, basically just under a million. The unemployment rate falling to 6.9%. Uh, over the past six months, the U.S. economy has gained back 12 million of the 22 million jobs that were lost. Now we still have the 10 million to go, uh, and the pace of the gains has been slowing, but it's still remarkable that we've had 55% of uh, the lost jobs regained, which is bringing some positive momentum to the market. So those three things, clearing the election hurdle, moving uh, great progress on the vaccine hurdle, and continuation of positive news on the economic front um, have all supported uh, the market momentum here. Um, and as, as we were watching the market this morning, we are seeing 10-year yields backing up uh, to the pre-election result level where we hit intraday last week of 95 and a half and we're basically there again. And one theme that we, you know, had been really discussing over the past several weeks is, you know, where the market was heading into the election was going to be our pivot point for what we expected uh, after the election. And that's exactly what we're seeing playing out right now. The bearish underpinnings are there. Uh, they're, they're, and we do continue to expect a move toward 1%, which, you know, clearly isn't as big of a deal now that we're back at 95 and a half. Uh, versus, you know, when we were in the 70s uh, last week. Uh, but that's what we are continuing to expect. It, some people are obviously in the marketplace questioning um, whether or not we'll see an earlier Fed liftoff and if that'll start getting priced into the front end a little bit more. And we've had a little bit of a backup, nothing meaningful uh, in twos. And in terms of the front end of the curve, you know, we dismiss any thoughts of an earlier liftoff for the Fed on the back of any uh, stronger economic data or the you know, positive employment report from last week. And, and it's really based on the reality that as time marches forward, the impact of aging demographics and the increased uh, entitlement spending um, will continue to drag on economic growth. 
And you know, one one of the things we've talked about quite a bit is that the non-discretionary spending as a percentage of total spending over the past several decades has really increased quite dramatically, and that reduces the flexibility that any uh, Congress and administration uh, might have going forward with regard to trying to cut deficits. So we do expect the Fed to remain on hold and the front end to be pegged down and the curve to uh, steepen on the back of that. Another thing that we spoke about last week on the call uh, was credit spreads. Uh, and what we are seeing uh, this morning is credit spreads continuing to narrow by four to five basis points. And we are now at new post-pandemic types. Uh, the IG index is around 112 basis points. Uh, that's about 20 basis points wider than the January uh, types, but of course substantially tighter uh, than, than the wide reach in March. And we do continue to expect record tights next year as the economy recovers and investors reach for yield in a very accommodative uh, Fed environment. Uh, so that's, I can pass it now to um, back to Brian Belsky. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Great comments, and Michael as well. With respect to equities, both in the U.S. and Canada, we're still in a big bull market. The construct of the bull market uh, may change a little bit uh, with a president-elect Biden and a split Congress. But keep in mind, too, the key thing is that we still don't know uh, about the Senate. Michael's spot on with respect to where the polls are. Again, it may be too early. Uh, to make those decisions. And the big thing, as Michael said, and which everyone can agree on, is this notion of taxes and spending changes dramatically if indeed uh, we do have more of a blue wave uh, in Congress. But we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. That's why we continue to stress with clients that uh, you really want to be more tilted toward quality. Uh, you do not want to make binary decisions uh, in the marketplace. Today, obviously, is a huge momentum type of move, which most of 2020 has been, quite frankly. And when we wrote a report on Friday and talked about unprecedented moves in the market, unprecedented again today. So 2020 has been a year of unprecedented uh, behavior in terms of fundamentals, the economy, stocks in general. So we don't think that's going to end anytime soon. And given days like this, you don't want to base your investment strategy on a day like today. You still want to uh, tilt your quality uh, to in increasing that, that the side in terms of higher quality, number one. Number two, you don't want to make a growth versus value call, I think, today. Uh, you still want to make a stock market call, meaning a stock market is a market of stocks, and you want to, again, increase your quality tilt in the portfolio, but also have a balanced approach with respect to looking at structural growth, cyclical growth, and secular growth, uh, the kind of the three engines of how companies grow. And so whether or not you're being a growth or value investor, I don't think you have to make a binary type decision. So too, uh, in terms of cyclicals and or small cap versus large cap. Uh, so let's applaud today's great market. Uh, let's not jump on today's winners and, and sell today's losers. Let's be disciplined in our portfolios. We still believe in our 3650 target on the S&P and 3850 for the next 12 months in terms of Canada, uh, 18,200 on the TSX and 18,700 uh, for the next 12 months. 
Uh, Michael brought up a great point in terms of Ottawa and what that means. Indeed, we do see a change in the Senate, but again, let's cross that bridge when we get to it. I believe the market clearly, um, as Margaret brought up, is sniffing out a Goldilocks scenario, which we had most recently in 2019 in the markets. And if you kind of go back uh, in history, uh, clearly one of the most uh, dramatic and popular ways of looking at Goldilocks was looking at 1995, 1996 in the markets. We continue to believe that North American markets in general are the best position equity markets in the world in terms of assets, meaning the best companies in the world. Uh, and we still believe uh, that this big bull market is alive and driven principally in the U.S. by technology communication services, uh, consumer discretionary, very select retailers, select consumer retailers, uh, consumer staples retailers, I'm sorry, and, uh, select healthcare, which you're seeing here today, and then very select big money center banks that have scalable assets. So what you heard from the conference call and our comments a lot of great news, still some questions to be answered, specifically what happens in January due to the runoff in Georgia? What happens to the control of the Senate? Are we indeed going to see a blue wave or are we going to see a split Congress? Since 1932, a newly elected Democratic president has never inherited a split Congress ever. There was a blue wave that occurred in 1932. It's the only time ever in American history that a blue wave happened, meaning Democrat in the White House and democratically controlled Congress. Many investors have kind of built that in prior to the election. And then after the election, obviously, markets were rallying given the thought of a split government that remains to be seen. All that being said, we have an interest rate scenario, as Margaret pointed out, that's going to be in place for several more years. 10-year treasuries and other other fixed income units have been rallying, meaning yields of uh, I'm sorry, yields have rallied. However, still at or near record low levels, it still points toward risk assets. Michael believes that the recovery continues to proceed, albeit at a choppier pace. You can't really judge today's fantastic stock market move and extrapolate over the days to come. Clearly, it is fantastic news and builds a lot of confidence with respect to the overall recovery. But in terms of the economy, there's still a lot of work to do. And again, finally, with respect to the stock market, the 20-year bull market, in our view, is very much alive. You have to be an investor in high-quality assets. We do believe those high-quality assets with respect to both U.S. and Canadian stocks are the place to be with respect to equity assets around the world. If you'd like to hear more content with respect to what we're saying at BMO, please reach out to your relationship manager or dial up the www.bmocm.com. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and please stay well and safe. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.